0: Hey everybody, my name is Rob Shear, and I'm the founder of a national nonprofit called Comfort Cases. I'm also an advocate for children in our foster care system, a public speaker, an author of a book, A Forever Family, but most importantly, I am the father of four amazing children.
1: Hi, I'm Dana McKay, and I saw Rob on The Ellen Show, and when I realized his organization was based right here where I live, I knew I had to get involved. I'm also a social media consultant, a radio host, a podcast producer, and a mother of two children.
0: See, our country's foster care system is shattered, and this podcast is about how we as a community can come together to bring about change, changing the system, and changing the lives of children in care.
1: Welcome to the Fostering Change podcast. Today we're talking to Matt Anderson. Matt is the Vice President of Programs and Business Development for the Children's Home Society of North Carolina. Matt has an incredible story, and we are so excited to have you here, Matt. Thank you.
2: Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for um, the invitation.
0: Excellent. Well, Matt, you know, I'm really, really thrilled. I will tell you that um, I actually came across Matt on social media. And so I did a little bit of research, and you know that you are the Vice President of Programs and Business Development for the Children's Home Society, and and at first I wanted, I was like, oh, you know, he must be another person like me, you know, aged out of the foster care system, and you know, that's where his passion is. But your story is actually different than that.
2: It it is. Um, You know, it can be a very long story, or I'll try to make it a little bit of a shorter story, but... um I don't have any um, personal experience with foster care, you know myself, and and really actually didn't get involved at all in the foster care uh, world until a little bit later into my career, actually when I was in grad school. But I'm, I, you know, I'm from Pittsburgh originally, and I was born and raised there, and uh, it's a big part of, of who I am, and it's a it's city that I love, and my family's still there, and. As much as I loved it, I was more of an outdoors person than a city person when I was a kid. And I had the, the experience of going to Montana with my dad and my sister when I was growing up. So when I had the choice of, of where to think about college, um, it was a pretty simple choice for me. And I went to the, the University of Montana in Missoula, Montana, and just fell in love with it there. You know, did a lot of outdoors activities, and I was big into snowboarding, and I just really loved being there. and Actually, I, I went through to major in forestry, of all things, so about as far away from child welfare and foster care as you could get and, and realized that wasn't really my thing and that people um, were much more my thing. And so um, ended up uh, graduating and, and working for a small nonprofit, and uh, I could talk about some of those experiences uh, if you have time. But it actually led me to the Master's of Social Work program at the University of Montana. And so I did that program actually with a, a real interest in, um, you know, really authentic youth engagement, youth leadership, um, art as, as a tool of engagement, um, to work with young people to solve problems they face in their own lives. That's why I'm really interested in Foster Strong, um, in organizations like Say so, which is part of Children's Home Society here in North Carolina, organizations like California Youth Connection and lots of others like that around the country. Um, but not foster care. That wasn't that wasn't my focus in graduate school until um, I was looking for a field placement my second year in grad school. And a friend of mine uh, was working for an independent living program and suggested I give that a, a look. And I did. And I started uh, working as an independent living case manager. And we would um, actually place kids that were in foster care, 17 years old or older, and we would place them into their own apartments. They would live on their own, go to school, try to finish and graduate, have a job. You know, we would focus on independent living, skill building goals with them. And that's where I met um, Cody. He was actually the inspiration for me to really go uh, deep into this work of child welfare. Um that's where I met Race, Mandy, Micah. And, you know, long story short, maybe we could get into it, but we ended up doing a documentary.
0: About I, I, I so I, I want to talk about the documentary. So I, am yeah. glad you brought that up. Cause I do want to talk about the documentary because I want people to watch this documentary. So yes, tell us, tell us, so here you are, you've got involved with foster care because of some of these amazing humans who, um, who, by the way, are all part of, um, you know, foster strong. So tell us about how this documentary came about.
2: Yeah, sure. So it was really just, uh, Sitting in Cody's apartment one day, you know, I would check in with all the kids that I worked with, you know, two three times a week. We'd work on their goals together and you know do a variety of things. And so we were uh, having a conversation and you know talking about I don't know probably his job that he had and showing up on time and all that kind of stuff. And he just wasn't into it and said, you know what, you need to know what happened. And so he took about an hour or so and explained to me his his story or told me his story. And he told me about being removed from his family on his 11th birthday and told me the details of that experience. And he told me about the 17 different placements that he had over the seven years that he was in foster care and talked about really what it felt like to move um, from one family to another and group homes and detention centers. And, and he got to the end of that story and he got really serious and said, you know, um, my life matters and what happened to me um, matters and people need to know my story. You know, it just struck me, you know, and it, it, that sentence of people need to hear my story has changed my life completely. That was in 2007. That was 13 years ago he said that and it totally changed my life. And, um, you know, the next thing he said, we should make a movie about my life. And he was joking, you know, he said it with a, with a joke and a laugh. And I thought it was a great idea and actually, Asked him what he thought it should be about and he said he wanted to go back to all of those 17 different placements that he lived in and tell the story of what it felt like to have to leave and then what it's feeling like to have to age out on his 18th birthday. And we said in that conversation we could, we should call it from place to place and we'll tell the story of what it's like to go from place to place in foster care. And so three years later from that conversation, we, re- we released a feature documentary in 2011, um, called from place to place and it's, uh, the feature documentary about America's foster care system pulled through the lens of three young adults who had aged out. And we followed them for two and a half years post foster care to really see what life is like and find out what happens when you age out. But more importantly than that, the reason these young people wanted to do this film is they all said basically the same thing when they were in care, nobody listened to what they had to say. They felt like they never had a voice. And here was an opportunity for them to have a voice. And not only just tell their story, but tell their story to people who are in a position to make things better for the next generation. That's what was motivating them. And so that's what motivated us to, to do this film. And, um, you know, we could get into some of the things that it, it, it's done
1: in terms of impact.
0: But, so uh, first of all, I'd powerful. love to know where... That's
1: going to be my question. Where can people watch the movie? Where can we see it?
2: It is now uh, available on iTunes and Amazon Prime. So you can rent it or buy it on those of those um, platforms.
1: We'll put those links for people to get it on iTunes or Amazon Prime. We'll put those links in our on our website um, with awesome. the with the podcast, so that people can link right to it.
0: So, did you produce yeah. this yourself?
2: Yeah. So um, it, it's kind of an interesting story how things. This is how life works sometimes, which I love. Um, you know, I was still in grad school, and we had a class project to um, do a real life project to um, or to. Anyway, to to identify a problem, come up with a solution, and then kind of create a pitch to a board of a foundation to fund your project. That was the class project for that last semester. So I brought this idea of, let's make a documentary about kids aging out of foster care, and, and one of my classmates said, that's great, I know a filmmaker if you're serious about this, and she was friends with this woman, Paige Williams, um, so... Uh, Cody and I actually went to Paige's house and pitched her on this idea and she said, you know, it sounds great. You know, I'm finishing my documentary now. I'm looking for a project. So, if you all can raise a little bit of money, we'll we'll see if we can go ahead and get started. And so, um, Paige ended up becoming the director of the film. We ended up becoming business partners together in her production company. And, you know, we worked um, side by side throughout this whole project of, of making the film. So, I was producer. She was director. Um, you know, all of the young people in the film were, were advisors throughout the film and we raised money to produce the film, but also, you know, found a lot of people that just supported the project. And, you know, we had some incredibly talented musicians give us music at no Ka, um, editors that gave us reduced rate, you know, uh, people made, made contributions to the project. So this real kind of community effort to, to get this thing uh, made and out into the world you know, a ton of credit to Paige for having just this, this real talent as a filmmaker and storyteller to get it from idea to, to uh, the big screen.
0: I'd love to know exactly what type of impact that this documentary has, has done.
2: There's lots of little examples all over the country. Like somebody just emailed me a picture of a screenshot and she's in California and she's the, there's a Cal Sweck, I want to say. I'm probably saying that wrong, but She does um, all of the new social worker training for counties around California, and um, she uses from place to place in her training uh, still to this day. So, uh, you know, universities all over the country have have purchased the the documentary, and they use it in their social work um, curriculum. Um, You know, people use it uh, for uh, foster parent training. I mean, it gets used in all of those kinds of ways all the time. Um, you know some of the really big examples I don't know if, if you all know the, the name Becky Ship. Becky is in the film and um, at the time she was a senior staff for Senator Chuck Grassley who was the, the ranking member of the Senate Finance Committee. He had just launched the Senate caucus on Foster Youth with Senator Mary Landrew from Louisiana. They're all in the film as well. and so, Becky tells the story, even just on another podcast the other day, she tells the story of what is the origin of the Family First Prevention Services Act, which you're, you're probably familiar with that. For those who aren't, it's probably the biggest piece of child welfare legislation in the last 20, 30 years. And yes. it'll it'll have a pretty major impact on our field over the next 10 to 20 years. And when asked the origins of Family First, you know, Becky was one of the main authors of that bill. She says that the, really, truly the origin was from place to place. So as that legislation was being crafted and the ideas were being crafted, it really started with the first trip that we took to D.C. that's in the film. And you can see Mandy and Rafe um, talking to the Senate caucus committee and Senator Landers, Senator Grassley, um, and and others. And that led to a jumping-off point of a series of six um, listening sessions that the caucus did. And it was those listening sessions that brought forth you know, really the truth from young people that have experienced the system as to what the needs really, really are. And um, it, it, that led to what became the Family First Act. So, I, you know, there was a lot, obviously, that had to happen for Family First to happen. But I would, I would say from place to place a contributor to all of that for sure. And so that's probably the, the, one of the big, big things. And then in North Carolina, when I came here for, to work for Children's Home Society, Um, Long story short, we were able to to use the documentary to um, build awareness with our General Assembly here in North Carolina and establish um, what we call the Permanency Initiative, which is now a state-funded project where we have taken to full scale um, the Wendy's Wonderful Kids uh, model in North Carolina. So we have over 40 recruiters now and can serve... You know all the eligible older youth waiting to be adopted in North Carolina, and that probably wouldn't have happened if, if we didn't use the film um, to really secure the the champions that needed to lead that effort um, in the in the legislature here in North Carolina. Those are a couple examples of I think you know major impact that the film had, and I think that what I learned is that. You know, when when you allow young people to seek their truth and, and people in a position of power like Becky or Representative Avila in North Carolina, when those people listen um, and really trust what they have to say, they'll they'll take action, and, and you know, change will happen. And we've we've seen that with the film. So.
0: Wow, that's absolutely amazing.
1: Yep have you Have you haven't seen the movie? No, have I know? haven't. I yeah, haven't yeah, seen gonna, it yet. I'm totally gonna and watch I'm it tonight. Totally watch <laughs> <Yep>. it. Yep, <tonight. laughs> we'll be texting each other later about it. I know. I'm totally,
0: <laughs> totally gonna watch it. You know, I I'm so excited. I I truly do believe that you know how we bring upon change is um by telling our story and i think that that is one of the reasons why i love the you know foster strong i think that you know telling our story because you the number of people that i meet who say um you know they thought the government took care of the foster kids that you know
1: yeah people just i assumed it or i just didn't know what was really going on for kids like you think they go into foster care they get in a foster home and everything is all good until they either get adopted or go back to their parents like i never thought about kids aging out of the system, or kids going from home to home, or all the trauma they really experience. And it's through hearing Rob's story that I got involved, and I know a lot of, I I mean I have a friend who fosters, and she's shared our podcast, and we actually had a sorority sister who has seen my posts and my friend's posts, who went to say she wants to be a CASA. She lives in Maine, and she is going to CASA training right now because of us telling these stories on the podcast.
2: Yeah, um, Yeah, like like I said, I had no idea either, and so I took that first job. I didn't really know what foster care was.
0: Yeah. You know, and, and I, I tell people all the time, I don't blame anyone. Um, you know, because we have done such a poor job of educating our communities about foster care, but I think that yeah. we are turning that curve um, where you know we are starting to educate them more and more. So platforms like this, this podcast that right. we do, and
1: collaborating with other um, with other people, because I I see that there are a lot of small organizations working really hard for kids in their communities. But in order to raise that level of awareness, to where you have bigger media campaigns and. And, you know, bigger exposure for what's really going on for these kids. Um, I think that's really important, and that's what we're trying to work towards. And that's why we do this podcast and, yeah, yeah and collaborate with other organizations.
0: So, Matt, I have a question. Tell me exa- Tell me about Children's Home Society of North Carolina.
2: I've been with Children's Home Society since late 2011, so just over eight years, actually. And it's, it's an incredible organization. chsnc.org is our website, so anybody can go there and check us out and learn more. We're 120 years old, and so we've we've been uh, in this work and in this field for a very long time. And I was just reflecting earlier today, actually, about one of the things that I love about CHS is how relevant we've stayed over 120 years. We've had to evolve and innovate over time, and we really stay out ahead of the curve, I think, in a lot of different ways, because, um, actually, innovation is one of our core values um, of the organization. And so, you know, our our roots um, are in adoption, um, primarily. So, even though we're a children's home society, we were never a um, orphanage orphanage or group home. We've never done any residential based care. It's always been um, family based care um, for our entire history, and largely adoption for most of our history. We've completed over sixteen thousand adoptions um, in our history, and for the last 20, 30 years, probably as as kind of society has changed and our child welfare system has has changed, we've become uh, much more focused on serving families connected to the child welfare system. But always, you know, stay true to our our mission, which is to promote the right of every child to a permanent, safe, and loving family. And so family is is at the core of who we are Mm and really why we exist. And so we do that in a lot of ways today. We, you know, we run a a large um, family preservation program where we're, you know, serving families in their home in the community prior to removal and really trying to keep families intact and kids at home and have a lot of success with that. You know, part of what I do at CHS is I, I run our foster care to permanency program. And so we have over 700 licensed families across the state. We're serving 570 kids um, today in foster care. And, you know, our focus is, you know, not foster care for the sake of foster care. That's not really the, the work that we're in. We're Really in the business of helping kids leave the system to a permanent family as as quickly and safely as we can. And, you know, we do that through shared parenting and reunification. We do that through kinship, licensing, and guardianship. And we certainly do that through, um, adoption as well. We'll complete probably 160 adoptions from foster care this year. Wow. Um, so it's, yep, it's it's still a big, big part of what we do because, you know, we just believe that kids need to grow up in a family and, that's, that's the most important, you know, most important contribution you can make to the system as a whole. And so, you know, we have, I think we have great people, you know, we're a statewide organization, uh, you know, really talented, dedicated staff, great programs, high quality. Um, but, you know, we're also, I think, um, see ourselves as, as thought leaders and, you know, real partners to our public sector. We work really closely. We're a county administrative system, so we work really closely with our county partners, our state partners. You know, with the General Assembly, and you know, really trying to, to to work together in the best way we can to serve kids and families, and you know, making making sure we're doing the best the best we can. But um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a great great organization, and um, it's been a pleasure to to, to be part of it um, and to uh, to get to do the things that, that we
0: do yeah I absolutely love the fact of of you know I, I say this quite often and, and I was I probably talk about it in every podcast is that I truly believe the first thing that we have to do is try to figure out how to keep families together. And, um, you know, putting a child in foster care is not always the, the best option. Um, number two, if that, if that cannot, if it cannot happen by keeping the family together, that, you know, making sure that when a child comes in the system, we're doing everything we possibly can to reunify that child with their parents. But I also feel that children should not linger. I think that that is one of the biggest mistakes that we make is that we put kids in the system and they sit and they sit for years and years and kids need permanency kids need to know that they as you said it that they have a, a family and you know i i it, it always brings me back to my son alex you know my you know he's he's 19 years old and never in the million years that what i've ever thought that i would have a fifth child and, you know, just to see his face every single day, knowing that he now has a permanent family and that even though he's aged out of, I think he's aged out of foster care now and because he's from, we're in Maryland, we age out at 19. Um, he's not aging out of our family. I mean, he's he's enrolled in college in the fall and he's, you know, he's decided he wants to live at home and be with his dads and his siblings um, for the first year of college and not live on campus. So, you know, you're it makes our community stronger. You know, it really, really makes our community stronger, Matt, when we support these kids and give them some permanency.
2: Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that uh, I hope that I would always have, have seen it that way and, and, and worked that way from the beginning of my involvement with child welfare and working in foster care. But honestly, it was it was the young people that I worked with first in that independent living program. I mean, some of them, were in foster care for 15 years and, 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 you know, moved through more than 30 different placements, and and after all of that, they were going to turn 18 and literally be out on their own without a support system around them, and, you know, they were surrounded by me and all these paid professionals, and on their 18th birthday, we were all going to walk away, and, you know, I saw that happen, and I saw these kids struggle when they, when they left at 18, and I guess I just, I couldn't believe that's the way we were set up to serve kids. And, you know, I think the thing that, that um, really struck me was that when we do remove kids for safety reasons from their family and place them into foster care, I think we make a promise to that family that we will do better um, by their kids than we believe they could. And when kids age out, we fail on that promise. Yeah. And I you know, yeah, and so I just I, I just I couldn't imagine that that's how we were we were doing this work it, it, with the best intentions in mind, I mean, and great people and but that's the way the system is organized for so many of the young people that we serve and so it's um it's it's why Children's Home Society has just been a, a good home for me because our mission is really focused and clear on making sure we do what we can to prevent that. And when we've scaled, you know, this Wendy's Wonderful Kids program, you know, we've been able to really make a a big impact in uh, preventing that from happening. um, So it's, yeah, it's, um I don't have important work that we do here. Definitely, and, uh, it,
0: really, it really matters. It really is. And I will have to tell you, thank you. Thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you so much for your passion and for your caring because you are truly what I believe is part of the change. And, um, you know, I think we can learn a lot from our past, but I think for what we are seeing on the horizon of these strong individuals like yourself who are all of us are coming together um, to, to build a better future for kids who are aging out of the system. I tell people all the time that's, you know, my goal is to, you know, when a child ages out of the system that, you know, they, they should have as much support as possible because just like you said we take them from families because we say we're going to give them a better better life and then when they they age out we just basically throw them to the wayside and you know the invisible disposable kids well matt listen i will tell you it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on our podcast and this is not the last time you are going to hear from you my friend I have a feeling you and I are going to be really good friends and we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff throughout the year about policy changes about how we all can get involved and how we can all be part of the change because the change does need to happen Um, we cannot continue to do status quo we have to figure a better way for these kids and by the way these are not my kids they're not your kids but these are our kids and so every time that we have a podcast, we end our podcast with the same question. I think this is our
1: 40 something podcast and um 40 something and um and
0: so we ask all of our guests the same exact question and you know i will i say this you know i said this in several podcasts one day i will write a second book and i will put all the answers in it because i'm just blown away Mm -hmm. i wish our governor i hope our government officials i know some of ours local ones listen to our podcasts um that -hmm. would listen to what people say because it truly could bring change so dana what's that question
1: if you could change two things about the foster care system, what would they be?
2: Well, um, I think number one, we would all start listening a whole lot more. And um, we would be listening to the voice of young people, yes. So, CHO is a program of Children's Home Society. It's an amazing group of young people sharing their truth and their stories. You know, we've talked about Foster Strong, they're going to tell their story. Um, But I think we also need to spend more time listening to the parents of the young people that that we serve, and I don't know if we do that enough, and I think if we did, we would see things very differently. Um, I'll just say I've been in this field for a very long time already, and I don't spend enough, nearly enough time listening to the parents that are involved in our child welfare system, and and I think that can uh, go a long way to shaping our perspective. And the second thing, I think if we do more of that kind of listening, I think our child welfare system will start to realize that um, foster care is is a a symptom, and it's telling us that something is going on in our communities, and it's not all of our communities. It's specific parts of our communities. Um, The vast majority of, of kids in the system are coming from specific neighborhoods within our communities. We, we need to go to those communities and, and find out what those those families need so that they can stay together. And I think that's the future of our work. I think um, as, as long as we continue to work just within the boundaries of our foster care system, I'm not sure we'll get to that place where we really reduce the number of kids in care and do the prevention work that we need to with, with families. So... I would say we all go out and and do some listening and think
1: about how are we going to prevent
2: more kids from coming into foster care.
1: Absolutely. It makes so much sense.
0: I agree. I agree. Well, listen, Matt, it's been a pleasure, my friend. You know, for all of our listeners who are listening, you can find us on, where can all they listen to us, Dana? um,
1: So look for Fostering Change on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio tune in stitcher Spotify deezer we're on we're on all the major podcast apps and um, at comfortcases.org slash podcast
0: and also remember when you listen to these podcasts please share them please share them it's it's our responsibility to educate our community and also leave a review we love to hear the review we want to hear what do you want to hear we want to know did this educate you did this move you but we always must remember that we all can be part of the change each and every one of us can do something something. And Matt, you have taught us that today. So thank you, my friend. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. And everybody, we will talk to you again next Tuesday.
1: Next Tuesday. Yep. Thank you, Matt.
0: Thank you. Dana and I would like to thank all of you for listening to the Fostering Change podcast.
1: You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Make sure you follow Comfort Cases on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Comfort Cases. And check out the Fostering Change blog at comfortcases.org.
0: So everybody, we want to hear your stories. So reach out to us if you would like to be a guest on the podcast. You can find me on Facebook at Rob shear Instagram at Rob underscore Scheer, and on Twitter at Rob Scheer 6.
1: And please share this podcast and leave us a review.
0: Remember, we're all part of the same community. Your zip code, it's not your community, but it's our human race. Let's all make a difference.